His Love Christian Fellowship is excited to share this podcast with you. We hope you enjoy this message. And your love forever. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, hey, uh, Anna is going to share something. We might not last long because we had 30-minute naps today. But um, I just wanted to say, well, I didn't have a nap. But they had really quick naps. Um, that I'm so glad that we're back. And I just also wanted to share something, just kind of a quick word that I feel like God's doing in the body of Christ and even your worship like confirmed is I feel like just something to contemplate as we go throughout the weekend that God is letting us be small. And we do a lot about being big and being powerful and all of those things, which is really good and totally 100% true. Um, but that I just feel like he's releasing over the body of Christ this, this place of surrender where we're small and he's big. And where it's like, you know, when, when my kids want to lay on me or cuddle me, I'm not going to be like, no, you know. But in the, So think about how the king of the universe feels when we come to him and we're small and we recognize his bigness. And so just encouraging all of us, just the things in the areas where, where um, you're struggling or there's fear or anxiety or stress to let God come into those areas and to be big and to be okay with your smallness. And if there's things in your life that you can't do and dreams that you can't do on your own, then you're in the right place. And that's really good. And we should be able to be small in the kingdom and allow him to be big and be great. So bless you guys. And I'll get up here and speak at some point. Um, but we'll see how long we last. <laughs> Amen. Did you receive that? Well, it is so, so great to be back with you guys. I so love Ron and Teresa and the whole team here and Joe and Sarah, the whole team at New Heart. Can we just thank God for your leaders and just for their faithfulness? Thank you guys so much. We love you guys. And, uh, it really does feel like family coming back here. R Ron said, it just feels like family when you come. And I know it's, I said, it's true. And I, I realized, Ann and I were driving here from the hotel and I said, you know, this is the, the most consistent we've been any place we go in terms, like this is our fifth year in a row. I mean, I know it came a few times without Anna, but, uh, and, and five is the number of grace. So I just declare great grace during this weekend and what God's gonna do. And uh, can we just thank the worship team, by the way? Did they do a great job? How, is there anybody here who uh, have, has never heard uh, Anna or myself speak? You're in these meetings for the first time. Anyone? All right. All right. So, oh, one right here. Awesome. You're a brave soul. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. Well, it is just so good to be here. Um, is it okay if I share a couple testimonies? We, uh, we just recently, for those that um, might not remember, might not know, uh, Anna and I live in San Antonio, Texas. I'm originally from Canada, from New Brunswick, Canada, so uh, this cooler weather is doing my Canadian heart good. You know, I, I texted Joe a picture of the weather being like 70-some degrees, and I'm like, what's up with this? And he's like, that's because you came in late October last time. So, But uh, it's been cool in the mornings and at night, and we just spent the evening in, in uh, downtown Indianapolis. We came a day early just to check out the city because Anna hadn't seen it. And uh, anyway, just so good to be back. We're expecting God to do great things. But uh, we just came off of a really busy season. We just hosted two conferences back to back. We did a prophetic conference at our home church with uh, Dano McCollum and Bethany Hicks from The Mission in Vacaville, California. Thanks, baby. Okay, we can't open that here, though, okay? 
but uh, you just take that back down to mom. Thanks. And, 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 uh, uh, so we did that conference, and then we helped host uh, a global awakening event with Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, Robbie Dawkins, and a whole slew of other people in upper room worship. And it was just very significant for our city, uh, very significant for the season that we're in. And we could feel a build of what God was doing in our church, but also in the city. And because uh, how many of you know that when God moves in a church, it's never just for the church, it's for the community, it's for the city, it's for the region. And one of, one of the things I love about His Love Christian Fellowship and New Heart Church, by the way, is your houses that don't want to just keep things in your church. You want the river to flow out into the marketplace, out into the streets, out into the businesses to bring transformation and revival within society, right? So we're, we're just starting to feel this swell in our own city and in our own region, really. Our friends just uh, launched Bethel Austin, and we were there uh, to support them for their church launch. And uh, we're really in relationship with churches all the way from San Antonio up the 35 corridor. Um, it's called I-35 that goes San Antonio, San Marcos, Austin, Waco. Come on, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and, uh, who are transforming their city, by the way. And then up into Dallas, Fort Worth, all the way up into Oklahoma, we have relationship, and the region is pregnant with a move of God. There's been, there's been prophetic words by Cindy Jacobs and a whole bunch of other prophets that, that the I-35 will be a highway of holiness. Isaiah 35, I-35, and Isaiah 35 talks about the highway of holiness and that no unclean thing will pass over it. And some of you that maybe have looked into or read about or, you know, have heard in the news just the whole, uh, you know, human trafficking, you know, epidemic within, within America. Well, the I-35 corridor is one of the most trafficked freeways for human trafficking. And, but, I, but Isaiah 35 says, you will be called a, a highway of holiness and no unclean thing will pass over it. And there's been prophetic words over our region that God would, God would make it a highway of holiness and that revival would break out in the Texas Triangle, which is like Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, and, uh, and, and, and Austin's included in there. But God is doing something in our region. All that to say, we, we just feel this swell. We feel this momentum. And um, we basically uh, uh, hosted this prophetic conference. It was amazing. And then we hosted this Global Awakening Conference. By the way, after the Global Awakening Conference, right after, we were in a, in a really dry season uh, in the natural, in our weather, and, you know, farms were struggling, et cetera, et cetera. And right after the conference, the drought broke and we started to get rain. Because whenever God does something in the spirit, he blesses the natural as well. So... But we're feeling this momentum when we go into this conference and we just launched our prophetic teams where, you know, we're doing prophetic ministry with our first time visitors every week, every Sunday and our church is growing and we're just we're experiencing this momentum, this acceleration. But right after the conference, I got an email from a young lady in our church she is, you know, she's a mom of a young family. And she's, she's been just getting rocked by God. She just, before the conference even happened, she's just getting touched. She's having these personal encounters. She can't stop crying. And she sent me an email right after the conference, and she said this. She said, hey, Chuck, how do you go back to normal life after experiencing and encountering the Holy Spirit? <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. I have encountered and experienced the Holy Spirit before, but lately it's been at new heights and depths, and I just feel like I'm wrecked, and I can't get them off my mind. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good problem. 
Usually I have an emotional response and the next day I don't think much of it except for being on a high with Jesus. But now I feel like I just want to go into hiding with the Holy Spirit. And, and, but I have to continue to do life and go to work and I'm just so wrecked. Do you have any advice regarding what's going on with me and how to handle this? <laughs> Easy questions for pastors, you know. So she sends me this email and this, and this was my reply to her. This is what I said. I said, I think another way of looking at it is realizing that you don't have to go back to, quote, normal life. Rather, you have been introduced to a new normal. Continue to be captivated and engulfed in his love, realizing that you can take his love and his presence with you wherever you go. See, oftentimes, as the body of Christ, especially in in charismatic, spirit-filled churches, you know, in charismania, as I like to call it, you know, we'll, we'll go to conferences or revival services or events, and it's like we'll get, we'll get really jacked up in a good way. We'll get, like, so excited. It's like I, I feel so on fire for God. And then it's kind of like as time goes by, it just sometimes it can feel like it doesn't have to, but it can feel like it, our fire can start to dim. It can, it can start to fizzle out a little bit, and, and we have to go back to, like, life as usual or normal life. But I'd like to propose to you, that revival was never meant to be an event. But revival, the only reason we even ask for or pray for revival is for us to just get back to what's supposed to be normal Christianity. Just normal Christianity. The only reason we... See, revival is simply to be revived, right? It's to be reawakened it's to come back to life. It's to be revived. So the only time, that, the only reason that we even need revival is to just get reawakened to what's supposed to be normal Christianity, and that is the supernatural signs and wonders, miracles, people getting saved, being filled with hope, being filled with joy, uh, becomes just a normal way of life. It becomes a lifestyle. I say it all the time, everywhere I go. Like we we don't. We shouldn't just pray for revival. We should have encounters to the point where we become revival. And we just become revival everywhere we go. And then you can do things like just at my hotel in, uh, you know, in Bloomington. Like I, I'm coming down the elevator to just um, spend some time with the Lord in the lobby. And uh, I get on the elevator and, and uh, the housekeeping manager gets on with me. And, I, and I'm like, and, and I feel like the Lord says he has back pain. So two other ladies get on the elevator. We're making small conversation, and it just so happens he's getting off on my floor. And I thought, he's in trouble. <laughs> he can't get away from me now, you know. So we're going up. One lady gets, up on, gets off on the fourth floor. Another lady gets off on sixth floor. Seventh floor, it's, it's my floor. I, I walk off. He walks off to you. I'm having a conversation. I said, this might sound crazy, but you have back pain. You have pain in your back. And he goes, yeah, I have it all the time. He's like, you know, I'm in housekeeping, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I feel like God wants to heal your back. Can I pray for you? He's like, sure. So I just take his hand right there in the hallway, release healing over his back. He didn't have 
pain at the moment, but I said, I just pray, Lord, that he would never have pain again. I released the kingdom over him, and then I began to prophesy over him. I didn't even know at that point he was the manager of that, of the housekeeping. And I said, bro, there is a leadership gift on your life. There's a gift to work with people. And I just began to call out the gold in him and call it his destiny. He just starts to light up. He goes, I hope so, because I just stepped into this position five years or five months ago, and, uh, and he's leading. And I got to just confirm him and affirm him in where he's at. Now did revival break out in the hotel? <laughs> you know, no. But I, but I sowed a seed. And who knows what he's going to do. And, and, and the reality is we don't just pray for revival. We, we just start to encounter him so we can become revival. And in a sense, he got revived right there in the hotel room. Re, see, revival happens when individuals have a personal revival. So we, we, so really what I want to talk about tonight is what does it look like to live a lifestyle that just reflects normal Christianity or what normal Christianity is supposed to look like? And, and one of the best places for us to look at that is the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts, and I love reading about the, the birthing of the church. And uh, we're going we're gonna to read... Uh, in a second from Acts chapter 2, but just to lay a little bit of a context, the apostle uh, Peter and the disciples, after Jesus was uh, risen from the dead, it says that Jesus appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days, it says in Acts 1. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, over Jesus, you know, is risen from the dead, and over a period of 40 days, he appears visibly to his disciples for 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. Like, really good conference, isn't it? Like, guest speaker, resurrected Jesus, topic kingdom of God, 40 days, get your tickets because it's going to sell out, you know. And, and uh, so this is happening, and Jesus appearing. And by the way, they never knew when he was going to appear. It's like they could be probably just hanging out in a prayer meeting, and then all of a sudden Jesus is there. He's like, good prayer, you know. Or, or like they're just eating together, and all of a sudden Jesus manifests, and he starts eating bread with them, talking to them about the kingdom of God. Over 40 days, he would appear, appear to them from time to time. And then it says on one occasion when he appeared to them, he said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise that the, that the Father is going to give you uh, not many days from now. And he said for, you know, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in another place. So they're waiting in the upper room. And then in Acts 2, it says that they're there waiting in the upper room. And it says suddenly there's a sound from heaven, like a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole room where they were, where they were staying. And there's about 120 of them. And then there's this like rushing wind sound that comes into the room. It's like, you know, and it's like they hear this wind and then they see tongues of fire that look like little flames that rest on all of their heads. This actually happened. And then they began speaking in other languages, other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this wasn't just the gift of tongues like a lot of us know it, like a lot of you have the gift of tongues, the gift of praying in the spirit. But this was actually they were speaking languages of their day even though they didn't know them in their own in their own ability does that make sense 
And it says, because it was the day of Pentecost, it was, it was a big festival. It was a feast. So there was Jews from all over the land gathered and from, from many different places. And it says that they heard them speaking the word of the Lord in their own language as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And this, these are, this is a supernatural occurrence. And then Peter stands up. By the way, a lot of them said, uh, you know, it says that um, some of them accused the disciples of being drunk. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. They probably looked drunk. They were so filled with the joy of the Lord that they were just laughing. They were f- filled with joy. They were stumbling around. And it says that they're just drunk. And then Peter, Peter stood up and he said, look, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. But he said, however, what is happening right now is prophesied by the prophet Joel in Joel 2 where it says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams. And, and he begins to unpack what's happening. And then Peter boldly preaches the gospel. And he says to the Jews, this Jesus whom you crucified the Father has made both Lord and Christ, and he is now risen from the dead. He preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. That was the birthing of the church as we know it, and, and that was the beginning of, of what we, we begin to see as normal Christianity, okay? And then if you read on, oftentimes we stop there, but if you read on, we get a little narrative, a little, a little description of what the early church looked like. And that's where I want to pick up. And that's where I want to pull a few nuggets out from tonight. But it says this in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Holy Spirit was poured out. 3,000 people get saved. Peter preaches the gospel with boldness. There's, there's signs and wonders and miracles. 3,000 people get saved. And then it says this in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says this. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. Ever notice that the church just loves to eat? (laughs) Verse 43, a sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Verse 46, day after day they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. You can stop there. So we have this picture of what the early church looked like after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after they're anointed with power, after Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved. What's amazing is they didn't go home and say, that was a really good meeting. Now let's just go on and do life as usual. No, they were introduced to what became their new norm. They were introduced to what became a new lifestyle of of life in Christ, in the spirit, to the degree that every single day was an adventure. (laughs) 
to the degree that every single day somebody was getting born again. Somebody was getting saved. Miracles were breaking out. Nobody was going without because they had all things in common. There was such a, a love for one another that they were always looking out for one another back. They were truly a family. So much so that when the, those that were outside the church who didn't believe in Jesus yet looked on, they were astonished at just how much they loved each other. Like that alone was a sign and a wonder. <laughs> that it, it wasn't just some religion, but they're like, there's something about what they have that is so authentic, so real. Because how many of you know that those outside of the church know when they see the authentic? They know when they see something real. They, they know whether somebody's just going through the motions and faking it or just, you know, playing church or if something they have is so real that they're like, I don't know what it is that you have, but I can tell that it's real. I tell that you believe it. I remember shortly after I got saved, I was just so convinced that God was real and he loved everybody and wanted everybody to encounter him that when I told my friends, they were like, they almost like felt the fear of the Lord because they could just tell that I had an encounter. It's like they saw me before and then they saw me now and then they're like, okay, Jesus must be real, you know, to the point where like they would just get born again when I told them or they would, I would like share a Bible scripture with them and they'd go home and open their Bible. They're like, it's crazy. I went home and opened my Bible directly to the verse that you just shared with me. I'm like, I told you <laughs> he's real. So this, this was, so the early church stepped into this new norm, but there's a few things that I want us to look at that that I believe marks what it looks like to live a life of normal Christianity. And, and, and the first one is this, and, and I'm preaching to the choir in so many ways uh, because you guys are already living this, you're already walking in this, but I really want to remind us of some of these things that we're called to. And the first one is this, those that walk in a lifestyle of the kingdom, quote, normal Christianity, live a lifestyle of expectation. Everybody say expectation. expectation. See, Jesus told his disciples that when he appeared to them, look, guys, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait until the promise of the Father comes. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. So they're gathering like every day in this upper room. They're up there praying. They're eating together. And, and by the way, they didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew the Holy Spirit was coming. Jesus didn't say, wait until the Holy Spirit comes because when he comes, it's going to be like, it's going to be really cool. There's going to be a sound of a rushing wind. You're going to see like flames of fire. There's going to be like special effects. And then you're going to preach in 3,000. No, he just said, wait for the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, I'd like to propose to you that they weren't just passively waiting for God to show up. They weren't just passively going, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come. Like, when's he going to come? Like, and like, they're not like playing Yahtzee up there. Like, just, you know, <laughs> waiting for Holy Spirit. Like, they were waiting with expectation, with anticipation. Something amazing is about to happen. Something extraordinary is about to break in. Because Jesus said to wait for the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it's going to look like, but when he shows up, it's going to be powerful. And they were waiting. I really believe that they, were, they weren't passively waiting. Again, they were waiting with this anticipation, this hope-filled expectancy. Like they were pregnant with revival. They were pregnant with a move of God. So they're waiting with expectation. See, it's, it's the type of waiting like in Isaiah chapter 40 where it says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Everybody say wait. 
In fact, let's read it. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 31. And again, from the Amplified, listen to the way that it says this. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. And that word wait comes from the Hebrew word kava, and it's Q-A-V-A-H. And it literally means to wait for with expectation. What would happen if every time we came together, whether, whether it was a Sunday morning, uh, a home group, just getting together even just with a friend for coffee, or what about just as individuals waking up in the morning with this expectation in our hearts that because I have a really, really, really good father and the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of me, something amazing is going to happen today. God's going to show up. When I go to work, Holy Spirit's going to go with me and something cool is going to happen. When I go to school, some people are going to encounter Jesus because I'm just, I'm expecting him to come. You know, just uh, when I was getting ready to come here, I was having, uh, the day before we left, uh, so it would have been Wednesday, I was, I was just having co- coffee with uh, a new couple that started going to our church, and they're on fire for Jesus, and, and uh, I'm just getting to know them a little bit, and, we're, and uh, they prayed for me before, before we left uh, our coffee meeting, and they, they prophesied. They, they said, or they at least prayed it. She, she, said, uh, she said, I just see divine appointments during your whole way uh, through the airport, on airplanes, just everywhere you go, you're going to have a divine appointment. She released that prophetic word. So because she prayed that and prophesied that, I had an expectancy. I'm going to have divine appointments. See, listen, I believe this room is filled with prophetic promise. Raise your hand if you've received a prophetic word over your own life as an individual at some point in your life. Like, like, all of, almost all of us have received some type of prophetic word. What if we woke up in the morning expecting it to be fulfilled? What if we went through life with an anticipation that which God spoke is going to happen? So she prophesied that's going to happen. So everywhere I went, I knew it was a divine appointment. You know, it's like, and I got to have conversations with people. I got to pray with people. It's like when, when, when we attach expectation to our lives, Not only do we recognize things when God shows up and when he opens doors and there's divine appointments, but I believe we'll actually attract heaven upon us and around us because the Holy Spirit is drawn to expectation. It says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith or expectation or expectancy puts a draw on heaven. So every time we come together, let's, let's expect something to happen. Let's throughout through even tonight and, and, uh, tomorrow night and, and Sunday morning, let's expect Holy Spirit to show up. Did you know he likes it when we come together? <laughs> Did you know that when we come together and worship with expectancy, angels are just drawn into the room? I was, uh, 
a few weeks ago, one of the things that we're just we're experiencing in our home church, and, and I believe it's here as well, I can feel it during your worship, is there's a strong angelic presence uh, that comes into the room, especially during worship time. And um, a number of weeks ago, uh, you know, our worship team was rehearsing, and uh, they're rehearsing before church. And um, again, you can just feel the presence of God in the room, even just during rehearsal. And then our worship leader, uh, Anne Marie, in the spirit, saw an angel come in the back of the room. It's like swooped in the back of the room. And excitedly, in the spirit, she heard it go, like summon a whole bunch of other angels. She heard, it, she heard him say, come on, they're about to worship the king. <laughs> and then she saw this like host of angels go into the back and fill the room. Where Now, this is before church started. Now, she didn't share that. She might have shared it with the worship team. I don't know. She didn't share it with me or any of our other leaders. We're there, and during worship, you know, we're just feeling this unusual presence in the room, and the angelic realm is just stirring and swirling, and uh, I get on my knees on the front row, and I'm just worshiping Jesus, and then I hear this male voice, this beautiful voice harmonizing with the entire room uh, in worship, and I thought to myself, who is that? I've never heard that person in our church before singing. And I'm like scanning the room looking for this person. And then I had this thought, I bet it's an angel that's in the room worshiping with us. What I didn't realize is a few other people heard it. And Jeff, our worship leader's husband, went to the back of the room to see who it was. When, he's, when he was at the front of the room, he heard it coming from the back. When he goes to the back to look around and see who it is, he heard it coming from the front. <laughs> And he's like, it's an angelic voice. And we could, and there's this angelic presence. And I think we even picked it up on our recording that night. Um, somebody recorded it with their iPhone. But there's, see, angels show up when we ex put an expectancy on God. And there's something about a lifestyle of expectancy that attracts the supernatural. You know, I see, hope is a really big deal in the kingdom of God, isn't it? And Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of all hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's hope? It's a joyful anticipation that good things are going to happen. And by the way, I just prophesy that there's a fresh infusion of hope coming to some of you this weekend. There's a fresh infusion of hope coming. Some of you have been even feeling hopeless about some situations. And I feel like the Lord is saying, get ready, because he's about to, like, inject hope into your spirit. If you need that this weekend, just put your hand on your heart. I just prophesy a, a fresh measure of hope filling you that it is going to turn around in the name of Jesus. I just prophesy there is going to be a divine turnaround in your life and in your situation in the name of Jesus. I release it right now. Even in the area of finances, I feel like there's some people that need a turnaround in your finances. And I declare financial turnaround and breakthrough in the name of Jesus. He's turned it around everybody say he's turning it around yeah this gentleman right here in the green plaid what's your name Jacob and is this your wife yeah what's your name Patricia I remember your guys faces but just during worship I felt like uh I don't know what it is um if you guys are facing something right now uh, in the natural but I felt like Jacob the Lord was saying that um you're about to experience a breakthrough in your life 
it's like there's there's and, and I don't even know what circumstances are happening, but I feel like you're about to step into a new season. It's like things are about to shift. And I feel like Lord's saying that for you, things are about to turn around. And I feel like there's a certain area, and you know what area it is, where you've even been like, uh, you know, I just I need this to change. I need breakthrough here. And it's it's even been like a little bit frustrating, but I feel like the Lord's saying it's about to turn around in Jesus' name. And I release that over you in Jesus' name. Does that make sense to you? Okay, awesome. By the way, if I prophesy over anybody tonight or this weekend, you have full permission to hijack their prophetic word. <laughs> you, if you hear a word for somebody, you're like, I wish I got that word, then just grab onto it, okay? doesn't mean they're not going to get it, but it's tr if it's true for them, it's true for you. Just grab it and say, I received that for myself, okay? Sound good? All right. So everybody say expectation. So we need to live a lifestyle of expectation. The second thing that I want to point out in this uh, passage is the disciples of the early church, and I mentioned this, had a profound, I believe, supernatural love for one another. Everybody say love. love. See, in uh, verse 44 through 45, it says this. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their possessions and property and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Now, I don't believe this was a commandment in Scripture that we're supposed to live a communal lifestyle where nothing we have is actually our own. But like, in like I don't think it was basically saying that when I come to Indiana, I walk into Joe and Sarah's house and say, hey, in the book of Acts, it said they had all things in common. So I'm going to just help myself to your fridge right now, you know, because what's yours is mine, brother, you know. Um, but Joe, I know Joe and Sarah would be totally fine if I did that because they're just amazing. But I believe this was not, this wasn't so much establishing a commandment as much as it was a narrative or commentary on how much the early church loved one another. And there's something about a supernatural love and unity within the church that is supposed to be just a normal part of Christianity. Again, I mentioned earlier, like the early church loved each other so much that those outside of the church looked on. And, and I believe that alone is one of the biggest signs and wonders. And they said, OK, when I look at how much they love for each other, care for one another, sacrifice for one another, lay their lives down for each other. Like, there's something about this. It's like their lifestyle preached the gospel and convinced people that what they had was true. And, of course, Jesus said this in, uh, in John, uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, and I want to read it. John 13, in verse 35, Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and I love that both at His Love Christian Fellowship and at New Heart, like you guys walk in such a love for one another. But I, but I really believe the Lord has just taken it to a whole other level. He's taking it even to another level where there's such a supernatural laying your lives down for one another that people in the community are going to take notice. People in the community are going to look on and be like, okay, 
What is it about that? I, I believe that, you know, and I've, I know I've prophesied over you, uh, uh, Josh and Brianna before, but when people come, I haven't even been in your coffee shop, but when people come into your coffee shop, they feel the love of God. I know it. Like they, they experience the love of God because you guys carry the love of God. And, and there's something, I'm, I'm telling you, there's something about the love of Jesus and the love of the Father that fills us and we get to emanate that people, people can feel it when we just stand next to them sometimes. And I know the name of this church is His Love Christian Fellowship. So you believe this. You, you walk in this. You preach this. But I'm telling you, let's take it to another level to, to the point where it becomes a sign and a wonder. Where we don't just have a message, we become the message. And I just declare the Lord is releasing that even to, to greater depths. So love for one another. The, the other key is this. One of the things that marks a supernatural church or those that are really walking in normal Christianity is a lifestyle of worship. Everybody say worship. And, and I love this in, uh, in Acts 2. Verse 47. It says, praising God continually say continually so the early church was so wrecked by the love of god so undone by his goodness their hearts so overflowing with joy and 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 teresa said it when she was uh when she was doing the call to worship like worship isn't a duty when we understand his goodness and what he's done and what he's continuing to do it just becomes our go-to it just becomes the overflow of our hearts it becomes the overflow of our lives and i really believe that a lifestyle of worship marked the early church and a lifestyle of worship marks those who walk a normal christianity those who live a kingdom lifestyle that we don't just worship on a sunday but like we have hearts of worship everywhere we go when we're driving in the car, we're worshiping. And our girls, Autumn and Charlie, who you saw up here a little while ago, they set such a good example for this. Like, they learn songs because they hear us sing them at church, or we have, like, Bethel music playing in our house, and we have videos playing on our television throughout the day. So they learn these songs, and they're just walking through the house singing, You Make Me Brave, you know? And, or, or they're, like, you know, tremble that, uh, you know, by, by mosaic uh, worship and, you know, really made famous by upper room in our circles. You know, they're just walking through the house going, Jesus, Jesus, you know, you make the darkness tremble. We're like, yeah, sing it, Charlie. It's like, they're not like, okay, when we go to church, we sing these songs, and then when we go back to our homes, we do normal life. No, worship is normal life. And when we're driving in our cars, we're just worshiping. When we're on our way to, you know, walking into the office, we're worshiping in our hearts. Like, we need to be walking worship services everywhere we go because he's worthy. Not so that we can get something, but because he's already done something and, 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 and the spirit of God lives inside of us. So it's this lifestyle of worship. It's this overflow. And we see a lifestyle of worship in, in Paul and Silas when they were thrown in prison in Acts 16. Remember that? Paul and Silas healed a lady or healed somebody uh, by the gate called Beautiful when they're on their way to prayer. They get, you know, uh, that person testifies 
uh, the religious community gets upset. They throw Paul and Silas, or sorry, that was um, Peter and John. Paul and Silas were late, later uh, thrown in prison for, I think, casting a demon out of a fortune teller. They get thrown in jail, and they're in this nasty, cold, dark prison. They're chained up, probably not even sure if they're going to live or die. And it says that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, how many of you know that's a lifestyle of worship? They're not like, we'll wait and see if we get out of here and then we'll worship. They're like, no, whether we live or die or whether we get out of jail or not, we're just going to worship because he's worthy, because he's good. And their hearts were just, see, you couldn't shut them up. Paul and Silas were so free that, that even when you chain them up, you couldn't take away their freedom. Because they were free on the inside. One day, uh, um, Autumn and Charlie, uh, Charlie was in her cage uh, singing, I'm free, I'm free. She was in her crib singing, I'm free. Did I say cage? She was in it. <laughs> Somebody back there is calling child services right now. She was, she was in her crib singing, I'm free, I'm free. But now, now listen to this. Now... Autumn and Charlie don't even have the front under their crib, the front uh, rail, because they learned how to crawl out of their cribs. This was before they could crawl out of their cribs. So as far as she's concerned, she was in a cage. <laughs> she's in this bed with these rails. She can't get out, but she's singing, I'm free, I'm free. She was calling those things that aren't as though they are, you know? <laughs> no. She, she was singing, I'm free, I'm free. And, and I'm downstairs in the kitchen. I can hear her up there singing, I'm, I'm free, worshiping in her crib when she's supposed to be sleeping. And I thought, what a picture. That even when outward circumstances can make us feel confined, can make us feel closed in, maybe if they're less than favorable, nothing can take away the freedom that's in our heart. And now Paul and Silas are in jail, chained up, praying and singing hymns to God. I might have said this before, but I'll say it again. They weren't worshiping as a strategy to get out of jail. They weren't like, I bet if we just begin to sing lots of songs and worship Jesus enough, we'll get broken out here. No, they're like, no matter what happens, we're going to worship because he's worthy, because he's God and he's amazing and my heart's overflowing. And then it says, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, the foundation of the prisons were shaken. By the way, some of you are walking through some stuff. And if you'll just live a lifestyle of worship, again, not as a strategy, but as just an overflow of your heart, your chains are just going to start to come off of some of you. Some of you that are feeling anxiety and just worry about things, just begin to worship because he's good and that stuff's just going to fall away. See, instead of telling God how big our problem is, we need to start telling our problem how big God is and just begin worshiping in the midst of our circumstances and watch those circumstances start to bow to the name of Jesus. But even if they don't, we're still going to worship him. So they're chained up, they're worshiping, they're singing, the foundation of the prison shaken, the chains fall off of them, and other prisoners, you know, uh, are, are listening on, it said, and now they're realizing these chains are falling off, and the jailer draws his sword and is about to take his own life because he's like, I'm probably going to get killed anyway because all these guys are getting free. Paul's like, don't do it. Don't harm yourself. Shares the gospel with uh, the prison guard. Prison guard and his entire family get born again, get baptized, and there's a revival in the prison. Why? Not because they had a good event, but because Paul and Silas were revival everywhere they went. 
and 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 part of it was just having a lifestyle of overflow of worship everywhere they went they were worshiping they're singing hymns to god i love ephesians 5 uh it says don't be drunk on wine that leads to debauchery in other words it makes you do stupid things but be filled with the holy spirit sing singing songs and hymns and making melodies in your heart to the lord what's he talking about this lifestyle of praise of worship of worshiping him, of just having the song of the Lord on your tongue and on your heart all the time. And I really believe that when we do that, offering that sacrifice of praise everywhere we go, that's part of living uh, a revival lifestyle, of living normal Christianity. And and you'll, you're going to start to see the atmosphere change all around you. So everybody say worship. worship. See, I, ha- I have a friend who now lives, I won't say where he lives because I don't want to give away who I'm talking about, but a friend who... Uh, I did school with in Redding, California, and uh, this guy, he just, I mean, he has a, I believe, really believe that he has a gift of faith. He has seen uh, a lot of uh, tumors dissolve, cancer healed, extraordinary miracles, but he's somebody who uh, has his own physical condition um, that he actually finds even a little bit embarrassing, and uh, he hasn't got breakthrough for himself, and he struggles sometimes with that. And he was talking to me on the phone, and he was just being really honest. And he's like, dude, can I just process with you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, I see all of this breakthrough, and God's giving me breakthrough in my finances, in my job. I'm seeing people healed. I'm having, I mean, he's having favor with government in his city where he lives now. And God is using him. But he has this physical condition that uh, he finds embarrassing and is inconvenient, and he hasn't got breakthrough in yet. And, uh, and he started to feel almost this frustration and an offense with God that he wasn't getting his own healing. And he's like, bro, can I just process with you? I said, absolutely. And he's just sharing this. He says, I know the right answers, but this is what I'm feeling right now. How many of you know that sometimes we just need somebody that we can be honest with and process with? We all need that, by the way. And he's sharing this with me. And just the first thing that pops in my mind is thankfulness. And I said, bro. I'm not trying to be cliche here, but I just feel like you need to cultivate Thanksgiving. Because he said, I'm, he, he admitted to me, he said, I'm feeling entitled, like God owes me something, and I'm feeling frustrated. I'm like, I'm like the best cure for entitlement is Thanksgiving. If you're, just, if you're feeling that, I was like, you just need to be thankful for what you do have. And he's like, that's it. He knew it was a word of wisdom. He knew it was the, a word of the Lord. He's like, that's it. So I started texting him, like some things about Thanksgiving. And, and, uh, and see, we need to live a lifestyle. Part of living a lifestyle of worship is a lifestyle of thanksgiving unto God. Every single one of us has something or many things, really. We live in America <laughs> that we should be thankful for. And it's that lifestyle of thanksgiving. And me personally, one of the ways I cultivate my own intimacy with God, my own, uh, uh, cultivate my own fire, cultivate my own personal revival is on a daily basis telling God how grateful and how thankful I am for the things that he's brought into my life. It sounds simple. It doesn't sound extraordinary, but it's very biblical and very, very important because it says in Psalms, uh, Um, It says in Psalms 100, verse 4, enter his gates with a song of thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Say thankful. Bless and praise his name. And I just do this as a lifestyle. 
I'll sit down in my chair. I try to get up in the morning before before Ann and the girls get up because I know once they get up, it is on. <laughs> and I try to get up before them. I sit in my chair. I just I open my Bible and I just start to read. I start to pray and I just begin to thank God for the things in my life. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my girls. It's just simple things. Thank you for my home. Thank thank you for our vehicles. Thank you for thank you for my health. To be honest with you, I'll just strip it way back. I'm like God, thanks that I was born. You know, I'm like thanks thanks for breath. Thanks for my salvation, Father. Thank you for Jesus. And I'll just start cultivating this this gratitude in my heart for the Lord because it says we can enter his his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And it's putting thankfulness on our lips from our hearts that actually allows us to step into God's manifest presence. And it's thankfulness that helps us go in and it's thankfulness that causes heaven, I believe, to be released upon us for our day. And it's living a lifestyle of worship and thanksgiving. If you don't know how to start in your time with the Lord, just begin to thank him for stuff. And just cultivate that lifestyle. God, thank you that that didn't happen when, it, when I came really close to that happening. Thank you that, Lord, thank you for this breakthrough. If you're struggling with not seeing specific breakthrough in your life yet, start thanking God for the breakthrough that you have experienced. Because I promise you, every single one of us has had breakthrough in some area. And as we steward that area and give thanks for that, I really believe that God starts to release a lifestyle of breakthrough and starts to release other breakthroughs around us. Is this helping anybody at all? So a lifestyle of worship and thanksgiving. And the other key that I want to share is this. In verse 43 of Acts 2, it says this. It says, a sense of awe was felt by everyone and many wonders and signs and testing miracles were done. But it says, a sense of awe was felt by everybody. Everybody say awe. awe. And I don't mean like awe, that's cute. I mean like awe, like where we get the word awesome. It's the awe of God. And it says, a sense of awe was sensed by everybody. And in the dictionary, the word awe can be described as this, a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder, or an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or sublime. Let me just say this. I believe it says in John 4:18 it says that God's perfect love casts out fear. And I believe that. But there's also something that the Bible talks about called the fear of the Lord that every single one of us are called to walk in. It's a paradox. It's not being afraid we're walking on eggshells because we think God's mean, but it's being so awestruck by his majesty his beauty, his splendor, if I could make up a word, his godness, <laughs> that causes us, like Anna just shared, to sometimes just feel really small. I believe the early church was marked by the fear of the Lord. I believe the fear of the Lord is coming upon the church in America like we've never seen before. I believe there is another holiness movement 
that's going to sweep America and really the world, a holiness movement that's going to break into America, unlike we've seen before, that's not going to be rooted in legalism or rules or a, a, a unbiblical fear of God, but a biblical fear of God that's rooted in just a desire uh, to just be so surrendered to who he is because he's God that we walk in the fear of the Lord. Shortly after I got saved, you've heard my testimony probably 15 times now um, at this point. But part of my testimony is when I got saved when I was 16 years old, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my church in Canada. And the glory of God was showing up with such immense power, presence, and glory. I was 16 years old. The, 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 the love and power of God would come upon us. We would fall down on the floor and we would lie there under the glory of the Lord while waves of his glory and his presence washed over us. But there were times where it was so strong that I was a little bit scared. <laughs> but it was a good scared. Like, it's kind of like, God, I love this, but I don't want it to be any stronger because I'm not even sure I can handle it if it gets any stronger. Does that make sense? And I was feeling the fear of the Lord. Let me just say this. When you get up from an encounter like that, the last thing you want to do is do something to, the last thing that you want to do is walk in sin. I'll just say it the way it is. The last thing you want to do is do something that grieves his heart. And uh, I just encountered the fear of the Lord and I would go home from these meetings and it's like the presence would follow me and I would get in my bed at night and the presence of God would fill my room and I'd be praying and but I would like take the covers and put them up over my head and close my eyes because the presence of God was in my room. And I thought if I open my eyes right now, I'm, I might see an angel and I'm like, I don't want to see an angel right now. <laughs> you know, it's like now I'm like, where are the angels? But at the time I was like, it was I was just experiencing the fear of the Lord. And I'm like, God, I would pray, God, I don't want to see it right now. I love that you're here, but I'm not ready, you know? And uh, because, you know, there is a reason why every time you read in the Bible about somebody encountering an angel, the angel had to say, fear not. Because <laughs> there was the fear of the Lord attached to it. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord where, like, ever hear of Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth walked in such this this surrender and in, in this fear of the Lord where he would walk onto a train and sit down and would not say a word. And the person beside him would be like, I feel really convicted of my sin right now and would like move to the back of the train. You know, Charles Finney, during one of the great awakenings in New England, would walk into a factory not say a word, and grown men that don't know Jesus would just start falling down on their knees repenting. Wow. Because he walked in the fear of the Lord, and he carried the fear of the Lord. And there's something about, again, not being afraid of the Father, but yet this reverential awe that we walk in, that we, we don't want to do anything to grieve his heart. And I really believe that part of walking in the fear of the Lord means that we, we walk, we live a lifestyle of surrender to him. Where any area of our life that he puts his finger on, we surrender to him. It just got really quiet in here. <laughs> here's, here's the beauty about full surrender to Jesus. The more surrendered we become, the more freedom we experience. 
Jesus is, see, let me just say this. Jesus, God, is very secure in his godness. He's like, he's not on a power trip. He doesn't need us to obey him so he feels good about himself. He is absolutely 100% secure and confident in who he is. He doesn't need us. He, he created us because he loves us and wants relationship with us. So he doesn't need our obedience and our worship to, satis- or to, uh, to meet some insecurity that he has. And every time God calls us to another level of surrender, it's always for our own good. And the more surrendered we are, the more freedom we experience. See, when we get saved, we didn't just incorporate Jesus into our lives. He became our life. We laid everything down for him in exchange for all of who he is. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good deal. (laughs) All of me for all of him. And I think I think Anna might preach Sunday morning on 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 walking in the fullness of God. But all of me for all of him is an amazing deal. And it's like the more I surrender of myself, the more of him I get to experience and walk in and encounter and it's just a really good deal. It's like when I got born again when I was 16 years old, I'm like, "Wait a second. I'm going on too little sleep to stand up there, I think. <laughs> I thought, all of me for, like, all of Jesus? And I get to live for eternity? Like, who wouldn't want to do this? People don't want religion, but they really want Jesus. Everybody wants a king like Jesus if they know what he's really like. And there's something about full surrender to him. I mean, and God, I'm in this season, and maybe I'll share a little bit as the weekend goes, but God's just brought me into this season, and I'm not saying I've arrived. We're all in process. By the way, we're all going from glory to glory. Um, How many of you know that the moment we got born again, we became a new creation, but we're also becoming a new creation on a daily basis? I was transformed in January 1994 when I got born again, but I'm spending the rest of my life being transformed into the likeness of Christ. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 that we go from glory to glory. But recently, God's just had me in this season where he's just putting his finger on things. And things that seemed to used to be okay just aren't okay anymore. But it's okay because I get all of him. And just, you know, he, he, he just took me in the season. I like... I woke up one morning just feeling like I was supposed to read the scripture about, you know, God being the potter and us being the clay. And, you know, the whole idea, the whole analogy of we're being formed in his image. We're, we're pliable in his hands. And, and I thought, I just, I feel like I'm supposed to read that. So I went, uh, I went to the passage of scripture in Isaiah where it says, you, God, are our father. You're the potter. We're the clay, the work of your hands. And I'm sitting in a coffee shop and I'm reading this and I'm just spending time with the Lord. I just feel my heart being softened in his presence. And I'm like, God, I just want my heart to be so pliable, so soft before you. Mold my heart into your image. If there's impurities in my heart, would you just remove them? Make me more like you, Jesus. And, and it's, it's not a religious thing. It's just a want to be more like him thing. I want to be yielded. I want to be surrendered. And, and I'm having this time with the Lord. And, 
and uh, and I know God's speaking to me, but down just like one or two tables down in the coffee shop, there's this uh, two ladies having coffee, and I overhear their conversation, and, and you can tell that they're Christians, and out of the mouth of one of them, she goes, well, you know, he's the potter and we're the clay, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like reading the scripture. God just spoke it to me, and then she says, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then on my way out, I introduce myself, and I'm like, what church do you go to? She's like, Kingdom Life. I'm like, Kingdom Life right here? She's like, no, a different one. It's like another Kingdom Life, like in my city, same name of the church. I'm like, well, we're, we're related. We're kind of cousins then, you know, and, and um, but my point is this. God just started putting his finger on something in my heart, and uh, what I didn't realize is that a couple days later, he was really going to start putting his finger on something and saying, Chuck, I really, want, I really want you to deal with this area of your life. I want you to become more like me in this area. And he just began to call me a little bit deeper. He's calling my heart to just be a little bit more surrendered. And I feel like the, the body of Christ as a whole, it's like he's doing something because we just we don't have time to be half-hearted. We don't have time to be mostly in. We need to be fully in. Because when we're fully in, fully surrendered, my life's not my own. Like Paul, we say, God, I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond slave. Although I have, you know, freedom, I am fully surrendered to you. Because even as I'm fully surrendered to you, it's then that I experience the most freedom. And, and I feel like as the Lord's calling us into this place of surrender, of laying down our lives, of living a lifestyle of the fear of the Lord, it's like it's just another part of us becoming the message. It's just another part of us being just fully yielded. You know, I, uh, Robbie Dobkins, some of you know who he is. He was just on some of the Finger of God movies. He was just... Um, he was in the Middle East and he shared this story. He was in the Middle East and, uh, of course, he's praying. And he goes to, into really, really rough, hard areas of the Middle East where and violent areas of the Middle East where you can get thrown in jail or worse for praying or telling somebody else about Jesus. Every, he said that every single time he goes, he goes knowing he might not come back. And he was there. And uh, I'm going to try to uh, share this in... Um, uh, a PG version because there's a lot of kids in the room. <laughs> um, but so he's there and he, he led someone to Jesus one of the times that he was there. So he comes back and he's training him to pray for the sick and release miracles in the streets. And this is in a really, really, really uh, uh, hard, violent, dangerous part of the Middle East. And um, so, and their camera people, it's like, because when Robbie's praying for people on the streets, there's a camera guy with them because they're getting footage of, of the ministry that they're doing. And they're trained that if a police officer comes, if an authority comes, you take out that memory card from the camera and you throw it somewhere really, really fast and remember where you get it, where you threw it so we can go back and get it later. Because if the officer gets that memory card, every single person that's on that camera or that video camera or camera will become a target. Every person you prayed for, every person you've talked to will be in danger. So you throw that as far away as you can and then get it later. So they're in the car after praying for some people and doing some some footage. And then a, a police officer comes up and, and knocks on the door and they roll the window down and he pulls out a gun and he points it at Robbie. He says, you were praying for people, weren't you? And Robbie said, yeah, I was. <laughs> and the guy that's with Robbie's like, don't. Don't tell him. And, and Robbie told him later, he's like, look, if we deny what we're doing, everything that we've done doesn't even matter anymore. 
And he boldly says, yes, we were. And and the other officer, there's two officers, grabs the camera. He starts going through, and he's looking at the pictures. And Robbie's like, you didn't throw. He's like, I didn't have time. And then the officer puts a gun at Robbie, and he points it at him. He's like, you were praying for people. And Robbie goes, yeah, I was. And then Robbie stretches out his hand, and he says, I release the peace of Jesus to you. And he said, the guy with the gun pointed at his chest, head just went and fell down on his shoulder. He said it was like the movie Crocodile Dundee when he's like the big the the big ox is there and he kind of puts him to sleep. The guy's head just drops on his shoulder and he goes, "You can go." <laughs> and and the other guy goes, he's and but he's doing this, you know, Robbie knows this through a translator. And the guy with Robbie goes, "He said we can go. Let's go. Let's go." So they took off. And so they were fine. But Robbie's also come home being beat up by people there. My point is this. He lives a lifestyle of surrender. And I really believe one of the keys to the miracle signs, wonders, and breakthrough that both Robbie Dawkins, Todd White, and all kinds of people see is that their life is fully yielded to the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus. We, we read a lot about, you know, people being possessed by demons. What about being fully possessed by the Holy Spirit? to such a point where we walk in such the fear of the Lord, such a surrendered lifestyle, that as soon as he says something, we obey and we act on it. Bobby Connor likes to say that delayed obedience is disobedience. What if as soon as God speaks, we move? Just trusting him, trusting him with our lives, being fully yielded to him, fully surrendered. And I'm telling you, we are living in an hour where God is setting the church free from the fear of man setting us free from the fear of man that we can fully walk in the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of man? It's caring more about what people think than we do about what God thinks. The fear of the Lord is when God's opinion matters more than anybody else's, even when it's an unpopular opinion. And the Lord's calling us into the fear of the Lord. And, and, and I really feel like the Lord is just calling us the church back into a lifestyle that reflects just normal Christianity. And we'll talk more as the weekend goes on about what that looks like, but, but it looks like part of it looks like that we just have a supernatural love for one another. It means that our lives are marked by a lifestyle of worship. It means that uh, we, we live and this place of of just the awe of God, you know, it was it was Ron that was talking about how in heaven, you know, we're not going to get tired. You know, we're also not going to get bored. <laughs> remember, remember how the Bible talks about how there's four living creatures with eyes all over their body and under their wings and day and night they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think it's because they're spending eternity seeing new facets of the nature of God. They're never getting bored because there's no end to the glory and majesty and beauty. We get to spend eternity gazing upon the beauty of Jesus, and we're never going to get bored. We are going to be fascinated for eternity. We are going to be absolutely fascinated by God for eternity. He must be pretty extraordinary. What if we start to get a glimpse now?
Psalm 27, David said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. David got a glimpse of something that we're called to, and that's being fascinated by the glory, majesty, beauty of who he is and surrendering our hearts and lives fully to him that we might be fully alive and fully filled with the spirit of God everywhere we go. Let's just all stand where we are if we could. And if I could have one of the musicians or some of the musicians come up, that would be awesome. Yeah, if, just, if we could just play a little bit of music. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just put our hands on our hearts. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like tonight, the Lord's just calling us uh, to a fresh surrender, <laughs> to a fresh yieldedness to who he is. That we might even be just filled to overflowing with the beauty of God. That we might be filled with the fullness of God. So let's just all close our eyes for a minute with our hands on our hearts. Wow. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your glory that's in this place. I thank you for your presence that's already here. And Father, we say that tonight, we just surrender our hearts, our minds, and our bodies to you afresh. Jesus, we just say we want to be fully yours. We want to be fully surrendered. That we might walk in full freedom. So in your own way, if this is speaking to you and you say, Lord, I just want to walk in a fresh surrender tonight. I just want you to, in your own words, just offer yourself to the Lord. The Bible talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. If you, if you want to be a living sacrifice for Jesus, I just want you to offer him your heart right now. Just say, Lord, I give you my heart afresh. Wow. More, Lord. And if God puts his finger on an area of your life, it's not to condemn you. There's no shame in God. But if there's an area where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to just yield that to God. Just thank him for showing you that and just offer it to him and say, God, I just give this to you right now. You know, it might not even be a sin issue. It might just be something where God says, I just want that area because of what I'm calling you to. If he speaks to you, just give that back to him. Just say, Lord, I just lay that at your feet and I give that over to you right now. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah. And just as an act of surrender, I just want you to lift your hands to him and say, Lord, I just, I just give myself to you afresh tonight. I surrender my heart. I surrender my mind. I even surrender my body to be an instrument of worship unto you. Lord, make me a living sacrifice. Make me a living sacrifice. 
Yeah, just in your in your own in your own words, just begin to worship Jesus right now. Just begin to tell him how amazing he is. Tell God how beautiful he is. Just put your own worship on your lips. You can even just begin to sing in the spirit if you want or sing your own song to the Lord. Just begin to worship him. Father, we just say we love you. We worship you tonight. You are beautiful, Jesus, and you are worthy of all of our praise. We love you, God. We love you, God. You are holy. You are beautiful. You're amazing, God. Wow. Just begin to thank him for things. Thank him for who he is and thank him for things that he's done on your behalf. And then even just thank him for the breakthroughs that you haven't experienced yet, but you know he wants to give to you. So, Lord, we just say we thank you. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. You are perfect. You are beautiful. You're majestic. You're glorious. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Yeah, if you can sing in the Spirit, just begin to sing in the Spirit right now. If you can sing in a heavenly language, just begin to release your own song to the Lord right now. Just begin to sing. Thank you for listening to this message. 